Plot twists. We are obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story that takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, super fan of cinema, sport, comedy, and I'm part of the old impression. And throughout this series, brought to you by Now and Sky, I'll be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about the plot twist moments that define their lives and careers. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems you've never heard before. Expect spoilers. Our guest this week has starred in Spooks, Robin Hood, and most recently Obsession. Quite a raunchy Netflix series that's been causing quite a stir. But of course, he shot international prominence as the Dwarf King leader Thorin Oakenshield in Peter Jackson's The Hobbit. And he has many other strings to his bow, including theatre and now novel writing. Yes, this week I'm in conversation with the one and only Richard Armitage. Now, I should say, there's many things to love about Richard. He's a brilliant actor. There's a lot of love for him online and social media, discussing his chiselled features and recent topless scenes. But he's also adored for his voice. And in recent years, has carved out a whole new niche as a go-to narrator for audiobooks. And it was in a dark audiobook recording cave in New York where I managed to carve out a bit of time with him to chat earlier this week. Now, we've got to talk about plot twists. And we've also got to talk about his new book, Geneva, and the book focuses on a character called Sarah Collier, a Nobel Prize winning scientist with initial onset of Alzheimer's disease. She has the opportunity to go to a prestigious biotech conference. The technology being unveiled at this very conference could revolutionise medicine forever. More than that, it could save Sarah's life. But this is a world of conspiracy and conflicted loyalties where her closest friend could prove to be her deadliest foe. It's a race against time. Gosh, it, it sounds really rather enticing, doesn't it? I'm really, really intrigued and excited to understand the creative process around how he put this whole book together and the experiences that shaped it. And I want to know all about his plot twist. So let's get to it. Richard Armitage on Plot Twist. Well, Richard Armitage, I've been a fan since the days of Guy of Gisborne. So, you know, I go back here. Gosh, you were probably like seven years old when, when that was on telly. <laughs> That was I'll back in, uh, crikey, that 2006? Was, it was 2006, seven, yeah, and 2008, yeah, gosh, a long time ago. Yeah, I enjoyed that show. Thanks. Yeah, it was good fun. I had a, I had a, 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 good a pin on mullet and, and <laughs> yes, fake leather. Yeah. Yes. Those were the glory days, eh? Yeah. Always riding on horseback. Yeah. Enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I thought, you know, our listeners will be very pleased because, you know, looking online, there's a lot of love for you. And not just when you take your shirt off, but people really appreciate your voice. This is a big thing. So it often gets called out. So to hear you talk on this podcast now, talk about your life and career and plot twists and talk about your book, people will be delighted. Oh, thanks. I mean, it's uh, trying to sustain a long career whatever in whatever form that is. I always felt like audio work and radio that's now become podcast, that's sort of now become mm. multi-voice drama was always something that I enjoyed. So the voice was quite useful in a way. It's funny, isn't it? Because I suppose because how things have evolved with technology, there are probably, are there more opportunities now for actors that kind of lends itself? There are, but it's really, really in jeopardy with the idea that uh, an AI can recreate mm. anybody's voice, which is very possible and has been proven that, you know, you put 
all my audiobooks through a computer or come up with a version of me. But that's uh, that's a worry for That's everybody. scary. It is a bit. And uh, I think further down the line, we're going to be labeling our content with a sticker like we did e-numbers in the 80s to say this is AI generated and this is real. Oh and, and you choose what you want to listen to because uh, it might be that we get to a point where it's indecipherable. So we went all mm. political and serious then, didn't we? I didn't mean to do that. No, no, not at all. No, it's interesting. Because there's a, f a couple of examples online where Michael Jackson is singing Careless Whisper and it's sort of... It's just a <laughs> I didn't bit, know. I it's, mean, a bit, it's a bit odd. It's a of bit... all the songs to get Michael Jackson to sing, yeah. It <laughs> exactly. is a bit odd. It is. It, it's a worry. I mean, I, I do think... I mean, my uh, theory is that actors have got to become more flawed than ever, so I'm keeping all the mistakes in my audiobook now. All of the things that they normally remove, like mouth clicks and stomach rumbling, I'm like, keep it in because the computer will perfect it. So we need to be as imperfect as possible. Absolutely. I didn't say farts, but they do happen. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. You're in New York, is that right? I am. Yeah, I just I got back yesterday. Funnily enough, I bumped into Joe Biden, who was going to dinner at my local. Uh, oh wow! Italian. Yes, I mean, I didn't literally bump into him. It's just the the road was closed and there was loads of coppers around, and we were like, "What's going on?" And apparently, Biden was going for dinner. That's how it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what happens in New York City. <laughs> there you go. Have we have we lost you to New York, or is it just a work gig? Or what's... Oh no, this is this is home. Yep. Ah, nice. Yep. How long have you been there for? Uh, since about 2012, 13. Yep. Oh, wow. Quite some time now. Yeah, about 10 years now. So, But uh, most of my work happens in the UK, so I split my time between here and... Uh, back and forth. Back and forth, yeah. Now, there's plenty of things I want to ask you. I want to talk about your book. As someone who appreciates storytelling, I'm very keen to understand the inspirations behind it, how you, how you got to that particular story and... Yeah, everything involved. Obviously, we've got to talk about plot twists, but I want to start with something a little bit different. Now, my partner and I, we've, since we started dating recently, we've done a question of the day. Yeah. We'll go back and forth. And the one I liked was, how would your younger self react to you of today and what you've achieved? And I thought, you've done so much in your career. You've got this new string to your bow with the book. What would the young Richard Armitage at the age of 19, <laughs> 18, what would, what would he think of you today? It's weird you should say that because when I was in drama school, I was going through a very odd time with myself and I ended up doing a regression therapy session. <laughs> Two regression therapy sessions, actually. Um, they, they didn't really come to very much, but I did have a sort of strange, almost subconscious subliminal encounter with my younger self uh, in the school that I used to go to. Uh, and this little kid had walked in through the door and I was sort of in the school as myself. Uh, I guess I was in my 20s then looking. At, I turned around to look at the door and this little fellow walked in and I realized it was me. But weirdly, the adult version of me was very kind of nervous and anxious because of what the future might hold. And the little kid looked at me and went, don't worry, it's going to be fine. And I think maybe that's looking back, maybe I would say to my younger self, don't worry, it's going to be fine. How would your younger self look at you today, where you are right now? Uh, I don't know. I think maybe my younger self might not be particularly surprised. Maybe it's a bit like uh, that you have all of these things in you from from when you were born. I, I am a bit of a, I, I suppose I, I do lean into a bit of magical thinking, whereas I think I believe that, I don't believe that everything is predetermined, but I think there is something, uh, something in the stars, I guess. It's the universe. Yeah, I think so. But yeah. I also think there are moments in, in your life where you see crossroads and you can look back and say, 
oh, that was the moment when I met that person and that was the moment where that person gave me a lucky break. But if I think you just have to go through life with your eyes open and be ready. So I think my younger self would be kind of uh, maybe reassured and wouldn't wouldn't be quite so stressed and panicked. Probably a little proud, right? Yeah, it's always a bit of a surprise, though, isn't it? Everything, and particularly with the book, every aspect of the, the journey has been one more surprise that I wasn't expecting. And actually... I could say the same thing about my acting career. I think coming from the background that I do, people like me don't go down that road, really. I've, there's nobody in my family or in my immediate surroundings that have trodden this path. So everything that's happened has been a surprise. And of course, the flip side of that is that you, the minute that you finish a job, you always assume, well, that's the last time I'm ever going to work. So so each new job that comes along, each new opportunity, to me, I'm always a bit surprised by it. But I, I quite like that. I quite, you know, it's it's something that I've learned to love about an uncertain career is that there's always a surprise waiting around the corner. Tell me more about the background, because I was going to ask you about sort of the origin story and where you got that first kick to think, I want to do performing arts, I want to be an actor. Yeah, I went, I, I you know, I was a real uh, bookish kid. I think I, I disappeared into sort of, a lot of reading. I remember reading, you know, book after book after book as a kid, but I was also a bit of a musician. Um, so, and I, and I went to sort of tap dancing classes. So I fluctuated between a lot of art forms, I think. And, um, you know, I think my, my instincts to sort of perform were slightly misguided when I, when I started out, cause I did go into musical theater and I'm, I realized that I wasn't much of a show off. I didn't I didn't really like a lot of attention or a lot of eyes on me. I it, but it was a sort of a paradox because I wanted to escape into character, which is why my love of books seemed to feature quite heavily because I would be completely absorbed in literature. And I remember reading Lord of the Rings and getting to the end of it and being so bereft when the story was over. I was sort of grieving for the characters that had become my friends because I'd never see them again. And I think that was the moment when I look back that I was going, oh, maybe that's when I was an, realized that I was an actor because I wanted to disappear into that world. And then I got the chance to do it for real. Yeah, full circle. You, you mentioned actually a second ago about meeting people and right place, right time. Sometimes that happens and brings about those surprises. I guess sometimes, well, often in this podcast, we look at those as maybe a little bit of a plot twist moment, something that you weren't foreseeing, you weren't expecting. Yeah. And it changes your own narrative and takes you down a different path. What what would be the standout plot twist? I, I mean, there's been quite a few. I've got a couple of sort of major plot twists, but I suppose the biggest one was that moment when I was working on spooks and I'd injured my back in a, in a stunt that, um, so I had a bit of a, I kind of had a back brace on for a while and was taking a lot of painkillers. And then a phone call came in to say that Peter Jackson was in town auditioning for The Hobbit and I should go along. And I was like, but I'm six foot two. Why on earth would he want me to play a dwarf? Thinking, you know, planning the audition, <laughs> thinking, should I go in on my knees? Should I like hunch down a bit so he thinks I'm shorter? And my agent was like, don't, don't worry about it. Just go in and do the scene. Anyway, so I went in and read this Thorin scene with Philippa and Fran and, and Pete. And I was in so much pain because of this back injury. I, I think something happened in the audition <laughs> that they sort of responded to. And then, of course, you sort of walk, walk away thinking, well, I met Peter Jackson, but forget it. And then the phone call came and, you know, my agent said, we'd like to take you out for dinner. I thought I was getting fired from my agent. 
And then um, <laughs> he sat down and said, uh, it's it's coming to you. They're going to offer it to you. And, and that was, I think that was probably the biggest plot twist of my life, not just for getting a major movie like that, but this thing that I just mentioned about stepping into Tolkien's world from that kid that so badly wanted to be part of the fellowship that really believed he was part of the fellowship to then be asked you're gonna you're actually gonna go there and you're gonna step into this world and you're gonna it's all gonna be happening around you was I'd sort of reverted back to being a kid for a second so I carried all of that with me to New Zealand I carried all of those memories of that child who really wanted to be there so it was amazing that's pretty special what sort of environments because if you do something like that where it's personally connected to you because you've you've got stage you've got tv you've got those big film productions massive franchises like that where where, where do you feel most alive gosh in, in all of the places actually because it's i mean look there's nothing like live theater when it's happening in the moment and you can't stop it no one's going to call cut you can feel an audience around you breathing with you and and sort of feeling this thing happen in front of you. And I've been in the audience as well as on stage feeling that moment. But but it's actually quite terrifying. But I do like I do like the filming process, especially when you go to work on a huge piece where they've built these incredible sets and it's before your eyes and you don't have to pretend. It you know, you really you're really there. You're immersed in it. So anything where I completely believe myself, where I escape for, you know, whether it's a few minutes during a take or two and a half hours or three and a half hours in the case of The Crucible, you disappear for a second. And I, I love that. I, it's, it's hard to describe. It's a bit like, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like sort of full immersion into a different, consciousness in a way mm. i was i was watching a brilliant film last night called lift which is about this this dancer that brings people from uh, homeless shelters and teaches them ballet and and they the one girl describes this the, the you know when she's in class moving her arms around to this music it's the first time she felt she could breathe and i really related to it i was like this is this is that's why we need the arts because it is a place where you can truly escape not you know I, I, they talked a lot about, you know, therapy and, you know, I think drama should be taught in schools on the national curriculum because I think it, it is a kind of therapeutic experience. I completely agree with that. All forms of art, that form of escapism, I, I, I love that because we can get so immersed in our own worlds and our own troubles that actually that escapism is really important. Well, wasn't the pandemic evidence when, you know, when you think about all of the, you know, books that you read or didn't or you watched the box sets or whatever you did, it was all about we're trapped here now we how do we escape you know i i escaped into a sound booth and recorded you know five or six audio books and i i'd have a little adventure every day i'd go off somewhere to to you know i was reading agatha christie and getting myself trapped in all of these sort of political crime mazes that she writes about and i'd come out of the recording and think wow I'm, i've just had this day out with agatha christie but i to me that's what a book is it's like an excursion it's a it's a doorway mm. into another world did you revisit david copperfield I had already read that actually, but uh, I've just done my third version of it. I'm, I'm in a multi-voice. I know you're a fan version of it for, yeah. for Audible, yeah. But again, that's another one of those pieces that I'll, I probably will keep going back to. It's it's an incredible piece of writing. I got the sense then when you're talking about the immersion into the roles, a sort of yeah, a, a deep. I don't know if you call that method, but a deeper sort of sense of 
yeah, be, being in that moment. How how far do you take that? Um, as far as is is legally and humanly possible. I mean, I <laughs> I was sort of I volunteered to be waterboarded for spooks, which felt like like a good idea at the time, but oh actually was not. You know, I did think that's a really stupid thing to do. Um, I mean, I played a serial killer in Hannibal where I, you know, I super glued a man to a wheelchair, bit his face off, set him on fire and pushed him down a hill. And, you know, uh, I, 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 that's the kind of thing you can't really do that method. You, that's there all, that's all sure. imagination. Uh, but no, I, I, I think, you know, method is a strange word when it comes to acting. My method is anything that enables me to completely believe what I'm doing, which means I'm fully immersed. I'm not distracted by that sense of, this is false, this is fake. So anything that makes me believe this, it's really happening, uh, which you, you can trick yourself. That's It's going back to that childlike brain we were just talking about where, you know, role play as a kid, you mm. completely believe yourself and you have to try and hang on to that as an adult when you're Gosh, that's true. in a scene. You know, there's no moment when you're like, oh, come on, you know, you've got to be really there. You just triggered a memory of as a kid. I had this little go-kart and the friend and I were going to try and build something to it where it was going to take off and fly. And we believed it was going to do that. And yeah. it's that thing yeah. as a kid, isn't it? The way you just sort of Complete, you are immersed yeah. in the magic. Yeah. And that's what you do spend. You know, some people don't train. Some people go to drama school. I, I was lucky enough to get a place at drama school. And a lot of the training really is about trying to get yourself into that that innocent state of a child. And I, I I'm you know, I'm in my writing at the moment and you know, the writing of Geneva was was a similar experience because what I hadn't realized was that my brain had collected all of this information and detail that I hadn't planned on. It's it's just ha it's happening whether you like it or not. And when you start writing, you're opening these tiny little doors and thinking, how did I remember that? Where did that come from? Where does this and it's very sensory, it smells and tastes and sounds and temperature and you know, fear whatever it is you, you you're sort of remembering very very vivid um experience in recall and i'm just like so desperate to get it written down because you know you might forget it where'd you first get the thought that i'm going to do this i'm going to write this book would you remember the first point because i remember as a 15 year old an idea, an idea for a book which i still haven't, <laughs> still haven't written but it's in my head and it's been there with me ever since so maybe it's the sign i should get on with it but where, do you remember there was a first point where you thought this is this is something I'd, I'd like to do? Well, first do of all, this. do get on with it. Don't hesitate. <laughs> write it. Just write it. Um, I'm not very good at doing something without a, a purpose. So when someone says, come and do a play reading with us, I'm like, yeah, but is there going to be an audience? Is there going to be a performance? It's very difficult to work in a sort of unknown vacuum. So I had always written biographies for characters when I'm building character for, for film or TV or theater. I write endlessly. I've got books and books and books of stuff that's written in first person. It's free flow, sort of morning pages type writing. Um, but Audible came to me and said, would you be interested in writing a crime thriller? Because you've read a lot, you're, you're in a lot, and we think this would sort of suit your lane in terms of your audience. And I immediately was like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would love to. And then they said the word ghostwriter. And I went, no, 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 <laughs> not a chance. If I'm going to read this for you, because they wanted me to read it, these have to be my own words. And then they got a bit scared and said, okay, well, can you send us some writing samples? And 
we started to build this trajectory towards a, a full book, which was a writing sample, some story ideas, and then a full story structure. And it was interesting because they said, well, what story ideas do you have? And I, I sort of had a few that I'd been toying with creating for TV drama or film drama because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to produce work now. I'm a big fan of sort of science fiction, toes on the line of science fact, bit of a conspiracy. You know, I love a story, you know, that Black Mirror territory where it's all kind of mm. the future happening now. But also it was just as we were getting into the pandemic and I'd been watching lots of footage of this uh, virologist called Sarah Gilbert, who was speaking very frankly and honestly about her work on Ebola. And I just thought she was giving me this sense of, of enormous relief that we were in safe hands. And, and I started to think, oh, it'd be interesting to, to create, um, to get the life rights to her story and make a drama about her because I thought she was fascinating. And then when this opportunity came along to write, a first of all, a story and then put a character in it, I thought I'm going to use her as a foundation stone. And then I had very, very distant memories of a film that had really shaken me as a child that still makes my hair stand on end. And I couldn't remember the name of it. It was, um, I just remember this scene where a woman is sort of ripping wallpaper off a hotel wall and she finds this hidden door and her brother is in the room and they've been lying to her that he's not in the hotel with her. And I, I Googled all this information and found out what the film was. And it was a film called So Long at the Fair with Gene Simmons from the 1950s. I had obviously watched it with my mom, but I just thought there's, there's my theme. A woman who is being gaslit and a very, very intelligent woman like Sarah Gilbert, who is very grounded and logical and a high achiever being gaslit into not trusting her own mind. And I thought, there's my basis mm. for the story. That's not a soundbite. That's and a very long essay on how I wrote this story. <laughs> no, I find it fascinating. But also how I love how there's other personal experiences that have then influenced and made it their way in whether it's on the skiing on the yeah. mountain, for example, and was it breaking into a science institute yeah. and those sort well, of it's things. All of, the, all, you know, sort of... all of the things that, you, you know, when you really sit down and rack your brains about what do I, what am I into? What do I like? And it's the same way I build a character. You know, I, I take what the writer's given me, but I also look at things that I'm interested in, that I aspire to, that, that really thrill me, that will make me open a book and read a biography about somebody um, I've just been reading about the Sackler family because I played a character in For Me Once. And I just, I, I love falling into those, into that detailed little rabbit hole of their life. And so I was, I was doing that as I was assembling the plot for this story. And I find stories like that, talking about Sarah as a character, especially where she's very smart and trusted, but there is this doubt that starts to creep in. It's almost, you know, like you're saying with the Black Mirror effect, it's kind of provocative, isn't it? It kind of open, opens up this debate. Yes. I mean, and in a way, that's what you do when you build any character or any plot is that you have to put someone at the center of it who is resistant to the plot you're going to throw at them, but then make them break. So whenever I'm looking at character to play, I'm looking for the breaking point or the stress point where this person is stretched or torn so you find this tension, whether it's inside or the, on the, the plot that is happening to them. And when you're, when you're making long form drama, for example, spooks, you look at a character like Lucas North and you're like, how can we test him? What can we throw at him that will break him? You know, where's the, where's the dramatic point where he can't function anymore? Because that's the most interesting point. So I thought with a, with a woman of Sarah's intellect and full, you know, her Nobel prize winning achievement, 
she should be impervious to um, a plot that I'm going to throw at her so that she becomes the fact that she is doubting her own mind because it's seemingly failing her. I just thought was a really interesting place to start a story from because she's supremely intelligent. She knows herself. So she's not, she's confident as a person. She doesn't have a huge amount of doubts about, you know, the real world around her. So I, I wanted to, to distort that and make her really fragile and fractured. Oh, that's fascinating. How was it releasing it in terms of, you know, if you compare it to a TV release, for example, you know, you've been on a big show or big, big film franchise, it's about to come out, you know, there's all the reviews and the social media for all that comes with it. How, how did this compare? Was it a similar sort of feeling or slightly different? Um, like everything I do, um, once the work is done, once it's in the can or in the mic or on the page, you know, I'm about to, it's about to happen now with the print version. I let it go and I step back. I don't read the reviews. I stand very quietly at the back of the room in the shadows and don't, uh, I don't focus too much on what people think because it's out of my hands. You know, of course I want them to enjoy it. I want the book to sell. I want people to listen and, and get the thrill out of it that I, that I intended when I was writing it, but it doesn't help. It doesn't, it doesn't help to listen too much to opinion. Mm -hmm. And it sounds, it sounds awful because I do, I do want people to give feedback, but at the same time, it's not going to be for everyone. And, and, you know, I'm the type of personality that will absorb a lot of the negative stuff and reject a lot of the positive stuff. And so I, I try to leave myself free of that. The work is done. I, I hand it over and then step away. I've always said it, it's probably a healthy thing. In a way, it's a bit in any in anything. You know, of course, you've got to get out there and promote it. But I, I've always used the analogy that it's a bit like an artist painting a picture and then standing in front of it talking about it. And it's like, get out of the way. We want to see the picture. You know, you, you're, you've done the you've done the painting. Now move. So I move and and disappear. I'm onto the. I think it's quite a healthy way of doing yeah, it. I, I say so. so. I think it was AJ Finn, the American author, said one of the best thrillers he's ever read. I mean, that's. That's pretty good going. It's, it's it a is good review. a review. He's uh, <laughs> he's a friend of mine. <laughs> Actually, I'm uh, going to dinner with him this evening. So, uh, oh wow, it was very nice of him to say that. But um, yeah, he's he's a tough tough critic though. Tough critic. That's what you need though. But that's you know you want the tough taskmasters yes. to give you the honest feedback. And of course, so. you know all of these people. And there's something I'm learning about being you know, tentatively accepted into a writer's community is that there's great support for each other and everybody reads each other's work and everybody gives feedback and, you know, people are very honest or not honest or, um, but I, I like the community. I think it's very supportive because, you know, we're all fighting for the same thing, which is, you know, great storytelling in whatever aspect and, and absolutely books and film and television, they all cross over, you know, all of these, all of the, uh, you know, every book is potentially, going to be a TV series and every TV series is probably was once a book, maybe. Geneva, the TV series. I'm, I'm all for it that. It is on the cards. Is it, is it going to yep. happen? Is it, is it? Yep. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. We've, uh, we've got a great producer on board who, uh, really liked the book and bought the rights. So I'm going to be developing that as well. So lots of, like I say, lots of nice surprises that kind of, you kind of think, oh, oh kudos okay. to you. What a Thanks. compliment. Thanks. Let's talk uh, about plot twist person. It's our second plot twist question, and it focuses on, I suppose, a surprise entity that has perhaps come out of nowhere and been a, a element of a force of support, perhaps, 
Is there anyone throughout your your career personally that stands out? Um, it's really hard to pin it down to one person because I always I, I always identify that person whenever whenever I find them, and it's the people that give you breaks, the people that believe in you for a, for a second. So. So yeah, Robin Shepard, who was the director who directed Spark House. Yeah, she was one of the first directors to ever really give me a significant role. I was doing, you know, one line here and there on Casualty and The Bill. And she fought for me because a lot of the, I think a lot of the producers at the BBC, I think it was BBC, me, was it? Gosh, I can't remember. Anyway, I think there was a lot of pushback and she fought for me and this role came along in a Sally Wainwright project. And um, I'll always be grateful for somebody like that fighting for my, for my corner. But similarly, I think Peter Jackson had to do the same thing with Warner Brothers. Mm. Um, so these people that oh, believe really? in you and they fight for you. Um, Jill Trevelick, who, um, when I did my, did my first audition for North and South, she, I was the first person through the door and they couldn't find the actor to play John Thornton. And then she went back through all of the audition tapes and I was the last person they saw. And then I got cast over a period of months and months and months. And that casting director went back through every single tape. And I, you know, these people are the people that have made, you know, big differences to your, to your world. That's amazing. Well, I guess it's like sliding door moments that can really, the, yeah, for you just have a huge impact yeah, all the time. So when you're not hanging out with AJ Finn and Joe Biden, <laughs> Richard Armitage, what's, what's happening? What, what do you like to do away from acting and away from writing? What, what, what are the passions outside of that? Well, I've already booked my ski trip to Zermatt this year because I'm going to I'm going to celebrate Geneva by standing at the foot of the Matterhorn, which is on the cover of the book, with a glass of champagne and, and a group of friends who we ski with a lot. So that is a real. I look forward to that week because I'm not a beach holiday person at all. I get incredibly bored, but there's nothing better than just disappearing to that high altitude. You can feel it in the writing, maybe that clean air and that that other world which is slightly mm. separate from the busyness of the city i just love it and it's a week of the year where most things are shut down so you know offices aren't open that that no man's land between christmas and new year i just love it because it's like oh i can escape i can escape and no one's going to be mm. emailing me and we can switch off technology <laughs> so so that's what i i really do love to do aside from that um you know i i train a lot i read a lot I read a lot for work and I try to squeeze in a book or two for pleasure. It's becoming quite difficult at the moment. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm, a, I'm a man of simple pleasures, let's say. I can imagine you're quite a competent skier. I get that sense. I, I'm in and out a bit. I, I've always been under contract, don't tell anyone, when, I, when I've gone skiing. And it says very specifically in the contract, no danger sports. So I'm always very, I'm very, very careful. I, I think I'm skiing like I, I always say ski like you're in your eighties. I don't want to break any bones, but I do, I do love it. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's the one, it's the one part of my life, which is, uh, on the edge, you know, a bit dangerous. Yeah. You need a bit of that every now and again. Yeah. I think you do. You see, I've been three times though, and I'm quite active, quite sporty, but each time I've got progressively worse and I'm not sure why I'm not sure what you going need to on take there. a lesson. Maybe it was the first time I was like a kid and I was just fearless. No, and... Take a lesson. So someone can look at your technique and they'll, they'll give you a couple of tips and all of a sudden it just snaps into place and you never look back. I mean, I, I mean, I'll go sometimes and be like, I am terrible this year, but then within a couple of hours, you're sort of back to your normal self and 
you've figured it out, but it's lovely. It's like, it's a little bit like flying, I think. Yeah, I get that. Because one of the stories in the book was that you, it was based on yourself. Didn't you have a bit of an accident? <laughs> I did. I did have something very close to that very early on when I was, I'd gone from being a terrible skier to being like, oh, I'm pretty good now. And I did do a kind of turned up with all the gear, no idea. And sort of went, I'm just going <laughs> to ski now. I'm just going to let go. And then I did have a sort of pretty bad fall. Wasn't wearing a helmet, bounced on my head. And after that moment, I was like, okay, you're an idiot. You've got to sort this out. So um, <laughs> I never, you know, I, I could have been awful. But I, from that point on, I, I never took risks and always wear a helmet. I'm very, very safe skier now. So. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, I mean, you hear about, was it Michael yeah. Schumacher? He was wearing yeah. a helmet and you just think, gosh, that is... Yeah, you take your life in your hands. But I but I, yeah, I think absolutely. it's all, it's a bit like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a driver as well. So you have to have that sixth sense of, being more more aware of everybody else around you than you are on yourself because you've got to have eyes in the back of your head. And that's one thing I have to say I did get from from being a dancer and going to drama school is this I've got, I have got quite incredible peripheral vision. Like that almost helps, right? Almost 360. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got eyes in the back of my head and I've got a kind of aesthetic sense I can just sense when things aren't right or when some somebody's very close to me even when they're behind me I can sense it. So it would have helped guy of Gisborne. I know. What else? <laughs> I'm actually speaking to Joanne Froggart tomorrow. And, oh! uh, yeah. So she, I think she joined series three of, of She did. She was yeah, brilliant. Robin Hood. She, say yeah. hello. She's, uh, she's yeah. one of the good ones. Yeah, we've had quite a few from that with the Robin Hood show. We had, we've had uh, David Harewood. We've had Harry Lloyd. We've had a few of you guys. Oh, yeah. I love Joanne. She's brilliant. I'd yeah. love to work with her again on something. Yeah. She's fantastic. Well, you're fantastic. And it's been. Thanks wonderful chatting to you thank you for giving up your time because i know you're busy recording audio books and all other projects so <laughs> it is much appreciated um good luck with the the book is it paperback that's coming out soon with the book it's hardback uh it's 12th hardback. of october okay. yeah 12th of october coming out soon yeah yeah so i'm going to be touring the uk and the bits of the us as well so oh, fun. signing signing and uh saying hello to people and trying to support independent bookshops and all of that stuff yeah love that i'm sure your fans will love that too well good luck with that good luck with taking it into tv or film looking forward to that and uh, hopefully we can chat again soon thanks richard thanks tom nice to talk to you many fascinating nuggets in that conversation big thank you to Richard Armitage thoroughly enjoyed that of course I love the chat around imagination particularly as a child that we believe all these different things can actually happen and actually maintaining that taking it into his acting was something that was very important to him and I suppose with that when you have that passion for reading like he does and reading Tolkien and then starring in The Hobbit the joy of that the the full circle moment, I suppose, that was something that's really quite that's quite remarkable. Talks about acting being like therapy. I can I can see that kind of immersing yourself into a character, being much more comfortable in that sense. Overall, a really interesting conversation, full of great storytelling and insights and optimism. And if you'd like more storytelling, Richard's book Geneva is available online at most bookstores. He's in Strike Back from back in the day, which is on Sky. That's a great watch. And then looking at next week, well, our guest and his profession 
is not something we've had on Plot Twist before. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it at that. Let it simmer. Have a little think. Until then, ciao guys. Bye.